Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading um, from verse 11, although um, I think we uh, last uh, two weeks ago and last week in the evening, uh, some of these verses will have been covered. So I'm going to focus as I preach later on 15 to 23, but we'll read uh, from verse 11. Let's listen to the Lord's words to us. In him, that's in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of men, uh, knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Now, there are big taglines our world has at the moment. Uh, Love is love, be true to yourself. And one that that rings over us all the time is fulfill your dreams. Uh, Fulfill your dreams, reach for the stars and you'll touch them. Um, That's usually said by someone who's just uh, won the Olympics or or won uh, an Oscar or something. Um, which immediately means there's actually loads of people who haven't fulfilled their dreams because uh, you have, but that doesn't seem to register with the person saying it. But that, that kind of idea filters into our psyche, and it, it can make ordinary feel a bit lifeless, can't it? Our lives are mostly doing ordinary things, and that's good. That's a good thing, by the way. But this this kind of story, you can, you can make it if you just go for it. It, it feels impossible, and we just... We, we, we can't live up to that ideal. I can't fulfill my dreams, we shout. I've got bills to pay. I've got parents to look after. I've just, I've just got washing up to do, actually. And it's, it's crushing. It can feel like there's this gold at the end of this rainbow, but it just keeps moving out of reach. And the scary thing, I think, is that that feeling can filter into our Christian life, too. 
We hear all these, these great ideals, holiness, closeness to God, miracles, but then when it comes to the reality, it just can seem ordinary, can seem hard work, and we, we can't do it. Perhaps I've just got to try harder. Perhaps I've got to believe more. Perhaps I've got to earn it. God helps those who help themselves, right? Isn't that what it is? Well, if that's you, God's got some good, beautiful, soul-relieving news for you this morning from this letter of Ephesians. Okay, and and even if um, that's not you, the idea can just lurk beneath the surface. So let's let God put it to rest this morning. Now, here in Ephesians, we're, we're just kind of getting started into the letter, and we pause in the middle of a really long prayer. Okay, it, the first half was verses three to fourteen. Um, and that was a prayer of praise uh, for what God has done for the Ephesians in Christ. His bless, he's blessing God for, for all of God's blessings. We've seen adoption. We've seen predestination. We've seen redemption, an idea that we're going to come back to this evening. Um, now, uh, uh, as I said, we're going to focus on 15 uh, to 23 because here the, the prayer changes. First of all, it moves to a prayer of thanks. Do you see that in verse 16? I do not cease to give thanks for you. Well, why? Because of verse 15. Their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love towards the saints. Those are, those are marks of true believers, aren't they? Faith in Jesus and the love that flows from that faith towards the church. These are bona fide Christians, the real deal. And may God be praised. May He be thanked. What a reminder. When we see faith, when we see love in people uh, around us, praise and thank God. He has been at work in that glorious soul. Now, however wonderful that is, Paul doesn't end there. His prayers don't stop there. Yes, uh, they're Christians, but that's not the end of the story. Paul knows we have a life to live in this world. We walk this earth. You know, when you become a Christian, you're not whisked straight away to heaven. There's a life of faith uh, to be lived walking with Christ as we wait for his return. And that's a life we can grow in. There's an experience to make the most of. It's like like walking in a theme park. You know, you can enjoy the soil beneath your feet, or you can learn to look up and eat some candy floss, even go on a, a ride. You know, we can we can grow in making the most of the life God's got for us. But what Paul prays for is not what we'd expect. Now, I think we'd expect for you to live well, I'm going to pray God gives you more blessings. Okay, he's done all that for you, but now I'm going to pray that he gives you more and he, he helps you in this way and gives you that. But Paul, what's interesting, does not pray for more blessings. No, he prays that they'd know the blessings they have, actually. He's just spent 10 verses showing all that God has done for them. And now he prays that they'd know it. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying for knowledge of God. He keeps going, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. See that? That you may know. He's not praying for more blessings, but that we'd grasp what we already have. That we'd hold on to, that we'd know deep down, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, in the core of our being, 
Knowledge like this, it transforms our lives. Not, not into some life of perfection, but deeply understanding what the life of the Christian is like. Listen to Sim, Sinclair Ferguson in regards to these verses. Our fundamental need is to see our privileges. For unless we see how great they are, we will neither desire to enter into them fully, nor will we be able to live in light of them. So let's uh, listen up this morning as to what Paul thinks is of prime importance for us to know as Christians, for us to live. And to live... We need to know three things, okay? That's not me just having three things. He actually prays uh, for three things, okay? The God-given ending, the God-given identity, and the God-given equipping. So in order to live, may we know our God-given ending. Know your God-given ending. That's the first one, okay? Have a look at verse 18. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. God wants us to know the ending. That's what Paul means by hope. Our hope is where everything is heading. Not just our hope for tomorrow, but our hope for the whole life. And he's already spelled out what that is in 1 verse 10. If you look back, as a plan for the fullness of time, what's the plan? To unite all things in him, that's in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth everything together in Jesus Christ. That's the end goal. That's our hope. That's our ending. And Paul is praying that we'd know that hope. And it's the hope to which he has called you. To which he's called you. That little phrase takes us right back to the beginning of our lives as Christians. Right from the beginning. Right from when you were called, this was the ending. This was always the ending. This hope, in a sense, envelops our whole Christian lives from the, our call right to when we see it. Yes, it's future, but it kind of pours into our present. Okay, don't think of it like a goal we set, okay? Um, perhaps you like setting goals. I don't know whether it's an A grade in your exam or it's to run a half a marathon in the summer. Um, now, that kind of goal, that's a, it, it's kind of a dream. It isn't certain. It's just there to get you working harder, isn't it? Uh, to earn the goal. No, think of your hope in Christ more like a, a big day coming up. Okay, like a wedding day or a party or a, a big birthday you've got coming up. That kind of hope, that's a certain hope. It's a hope that seeps into our present. We prepare for it. We get excited by it. It affects what we do and how we feel, doesn't it? Because knowing there's a day to come when all things will have peace together under Jesus the King. When we will see God himself. When sin and evil will be no more and our God will be honored as he should. Knowing that, it changes our now. It changes our today. For example, it, it sets our present into perspective. Our joys our joys like fun with friends, they, they lift our eyes to greater, one, the, uh, greater ones to come. They're pointers. We don't make them ultimate because we know there's a better ending to come. And not just our joys, but our, our sufferings, our pain. Yes, awful, but they remind us that this world is not our hope. They point us beyond. They point us beyond and we wait 
knowing the hope to which he's called us, it frees us and it frees us to live for others, for the church. If everything is heading towards being brought under Jesus, then it's okay if I don't fulfill my dreams. It's okay if my children don't achieve everything I hope for them. If, you know, if they don't go to university, if they don't have the career I thought they should, why? Because if it's all in God's hands, then it's about our souls, not about our successes. If it's all about Christ's glory, then we can lift, uh, uh, then we can let that lift our present. Now that doesn't diminish our here and now. But it opens it up. It, it, it doesn't mean we can't be fulfilled individuals, but it lets us breathe. It lets us enjoy rather than striving and failing. So to live, know your God-given ending. But Paul doesn't stop there. Secondly, to live, know your God-given identity. Verse 18 again, the end of the verse. Um, so we've had what is the hope to which he's called you. Now, secondly, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, what inheritance is he talking about? Now, before, Paul has talked about our inheritance. But here it's different. Do you notice? It's his inheritance. Now, this is taking on language uh, that God used in the Old Testament. God called his people his treasured possession, his inheritance. Um, Paul's even called us um, his possession earlier. And we see it here. It's God's inheritance in the saints. Okay, that is, a God's inheritance is found in the church. Somehow we're his inheritance. Now, Paul is praying that we'd know something about God's inheritance, something about who we are, therefore, as Christians. And what is it? That we'd know the riches. That we'd know the wealth of it. The weak, broken, sometimes small-looking church is the riches of God's inheritance. The church is like abundant wealth, like a, a truly treasured possession. I suppose we're a bit like a small, dirty rag doll, but because we're owned by royalty, by the creator of the universe, we're infinitely valuable. Think of it like a, a top football manager coming to manage uh, a rubbish team. Okay, imagine Alex Ferguson, the great man himself. The longer I'm in this city, the more of a big, big deal I realise uh, he was here. But uh, imagine him coming back to Aberdeen to manage. Okay, imagine though, rather than coming to Aberdeen FC, instead he turns up at Cooter FC. Okay, no offence if you play for them, but but the, the captain, you know, he gathers the team and said, "We've got a new manager," and and, and here he was. You know, imagine the players probably disbelief, but as training started and continued week in, week out, just imagine the dignity that gave them. Okay, it's not because of them or, or their skill, but who they are in the eyes of the manager. They're worth something to him. He's decided to invest in them to help them to make them good at football. He could be managing anyone. And God has chosen his church He's chosen them and called them, not because of something worthy in us, but out of his free will and love. And he says, you are the riches of my glorious inheritance. I'm investing and loving you. What dignity that gives us. We are the temple of God himself. What an identity. 
do you know it? It gives such a solid rock to your identity. It's God-given. It's because he is investing in us. So you don't have to believe in yourself. You don't have to try and be something that deep down you just kind of hope you are in the end. No, we believe in God. To know who we are, we look to him. It's his presence that gives us meaning. It's his love. It's his name over us. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Your identity is so secure and wonderful. And so that means something for us as the church. Now, I don't know why you're here at uh, church today, but at the core of who we are as God's people together, we're not a club Okay, we're not a social meeting. We're not like a book group where you just go along with like-minded people, we chat and we go home again. Okay, this is a local gathering of God's glorious inheritance. Okay, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they have been invested in and loved by God. So we treat each other with that kind of respect and dignity. We treat each other with truth, with honesty, with benefit of the doubt, with kindness and dignity. We honor them. We listen to them. Whatever social status, whatever life history. I was really struck uh, not long ago listening to an American church minister who just loved to honor people. He'd love love to say how he'd seen God at work in them uh, to make them more like Jesus. Now, it all felt a little bit American and public and a little bit too emotional, um, not very British. But once, once you got past the cultural barrier, underneath there was something so right about what he was doing. He saw people as the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. He knew the riches. So to live, know your God-given identity. And lastly, Paul prays that the church would know your God-given equipping to live. Know your God-given equipping. Verse 18. So we've had uh, to know what is your hope, then to know what are the riches, and now, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? That's the third thing. The immeasur- what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Here we see God's all-encompassing care for his people, okay? He's, he's, he's got the ending sorted. He's got our identity sorted. And now we see he even equips us along the way. With what? With power. Power. God-given power. Now, to know what uh, the, the power we have with us, um, that, sorry, to know that we have a power with us, that is of great comfort, isn't it? We never, we never walk alone as Christians. But Paul doesn't just want us to know that there is a power. He wants us to know the greatness of the power, the immeasurable greatness. And so he takes us to history. Okay, this, this power has already been on display. And it's been on display in Christ. And he wants to show us what it's done. That's how we're going to know its greatness. And just look at what God does by this power. Okay, this is an enemy-defeating power. Verse 20 That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. 
This is an enemy-defeating power. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Death had no hold on him. This new creation power, this was the death of death. You know, the one thing we're still deep down afraid of, the one thing our society can't talk about straight and runs hard and fast from, it's sheltered from us in statistics and hidden in hospitals, and yet it looms over us all. Yet Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And it places Jesus so high, this power, all demonic forces, those are those rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, where are they? They are under his feet. Spiritual forces that have tempted and held humanity since Genesis 3, they are on the edge of destruction. This is the kind of power we're talking about, enemy defeating. And more than that, it's Christ-exalting power. It's Christ-exalting. It it raised not just anyone, but Jesus from the dead. Christ was then seated over all. Not just demons and powers, but verse 21, he's over every name that is to be named. And not just then, but for all time. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And if this not enough, he just keeps going, isn't it? Verse 22, by this power, God gives Christ as head over the church. It's like a final mark of glory and exalting. It's like someone getting best actor award, best director, best soundtrack, best screenplay. Then he's made the, the head of the acting guild and then he's made president. It just keeps going. This is awesome power, immeasurably great power. Why? Because it's God's power. And this is what God does with his power. He defeats his and our enemies and he exalts his king. He transforms a humble servant into a cosmic king. He judges wicked hell-bent powers so that the church might live and be filled by Christ. In short, God turns death into life. That's what he does. And it's that power of God, verse 19, that is toward us who believe. Isn't that extraordinary? That's his equipping of us. That's what he gives us and works in us and helps us with. So as we start to know these things, one, that it's, it's that what it's for, uh, that it's uh, Christ-exalting and an enemy-defeating, and two, that it's for us, we start to see it properly. And we'll start to see and know this power. We start to know it. Like, if you look at a car and think petrol's only there to get the windscreen wipers going, you'll not get it, okay? You'll think this power is pretty weak and, uh, and very expensive. But if you know that petrol is powerful enough to get your whole lorry on the move, now that's a different story. We start to realize it's pretty impressive. Do you know God's enemy-defeating, Christ-exalting power? Your God-given equipping. Just think about your own life and the lives of those around you. You know, when you see a sin slowly put to death, that's the equipping power of God. When you see a temptation resisted or see someone encourage others with kind words, that's the equipping power of God. When you manage to lift up Jesus in your morning prayers or you speak of him to a colleague at work, that's the God's given equipping. Enemies defeated, Christ exalted. When a, when a friend makes a decision on who they're going to marry or how to spend their money or whether to get drunk or not, when they make a decision to exalt Jesus in their lives or not, that's God at work. 
But it's not just in the day to day. It is that, but it's so much bigger than that. If his power raised Christ, then it secured our hope to which he's called us. Every saint, every saint taken from calling to glory, adopted, redeemed and glorified, that's God's power in us. We have everything we need to live this life. God doesn't fail. If his power can raise Jesus Christ from the dead and exalt him above every name, then he's not going to fail with you. Now that doesn't mean we don't fail in some way. Sin Sin still clings on. That doesn't mean life won't be hard. Paul was writing this from prison, we find later on. Sufferings come. People hurt us and we hurt others. But God will not fail. His power is toward us who believe. He will take us from calling to glory. He will put death to death and exalt his son. Okay, just consider the life of a, of a Christian. Let's call her Janet. Okay, Janet lives an ordinary life. She knew and trusted Jesus from a young age. She grew up in a small town. She went to the local school. She got a job. She worked with her hands. She loved her church and her friends around her. She grew old and then died. Was that God's success? But look closer and you'll see the power of God equipping her. The power of God bringing her home. That, that soul is now ready to receive a glorious new body and to worship Christ. Janet had known her ending. She had known her identity. She had known her equipping. She had trusted in God as she took each day. And she, she enjoyed hockey and for some reason iron brew, but, but slowly over many years, her love for Jesus grew. You'd find her at church loving those who were lonely. You'd find her on her knees praying for the the lost, crying for those in pain. It's God-given equipping. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. Often we we look at the world and all all we see is what people want us to see. We see the pandemic, we see political wranglings, we see nations poised for war, or or perhaps we just see smiley, happy faces. Everyone's doing well, thanks. But Paul is praying that we'd see a different reality. Not that we'd try harder, not that we'd reach for the stars, ignore the ordinary. No, no, instead that we we would know. We'd know deep down in a life-changing way how God sees things and what he's up to. We'd see the journey of our world from beginning to end wrapped in Jesus Christ. We'd, we'd see what it really means to be human. Not our possessions or successes, but being known by God. We'd see God's successes, his unfailing power at work in the world. It's all God-given. It's all God-given. If, if life feels crushing, then look to the one who doesn't fail. To live. May we know these things. And lastly, may we, like Paul, be praying for them, for ourselves and for one another. Let's get God's priorities, his vision. And as we do, may we find ourselves living in the fullness of all that God has won for us and given us. In Christ's name, amen.